your attention to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, the book of James chapter 4. There we will look at the first 10 verses. James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. James chapter 4. There you'll find these words from the English Standard Version should be appearing on your screen as well. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to, the God, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, uh, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Amen. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be unto God for God's word. For the time that we have together today, I'd like to tag this text uh, with the topic, uh, living in humility, living in humility, living in humility. James begins this section uh, of the letter, of his letter to uh, Hebrews scattered across the world, addressing the issue of conflict within the community of faith. This was a letter composed to help those that were already a part of the Christian family push their way to spiritual maturity. These were not outsiders who lacked the knowledge of the expectations of God. No, James was writing to people who professed Christ as Savior and gathered under the name of Jesus Christ, but struggled to have their attitudes and their actions consistently show the evidence of this very fact. This is an important undercurrent of the entire letter. James consistently challenges these believers to a life of consistency that leads to spiritual maturity. In chapter 1, he says, be hearers and doers of the word. In chapter 2, he tells them, don't play favorites based on appearances. He also reminds them, again, that their faith cannot just remain in their heads and their hearts, but also must show up in their hands. In chapter 3, he challenges the consistency of their spoken words with their belief in Christ. And here in chapter 4, James deals with the infighting within the Christian community and the root causes that cause this to take place. Uh, In the first few verses of the chapter, James paints a picture for us of a group of people who are at odds with each other and at odds with God. The fights and the quarrels mentioned in verse 1 are not sourced in some theological or spiritual debate. 
These are issues are conflict over personal pleasures and personal preferences that are ultimately self-serving. James raises the all-important questions in the opening verse. What, uh, what are the causes of the fights and the quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? James invites these believers into consideration of the source of the division and the conflict that can tear down a community of believers or any relationship uh, for that matter and offers to them an answer that the source of their conflict with each other is their own personal desires. They want what they cannot have. They can't get their own way. And so in response, they do what they have to do in order to make what they want to see happen, happen. They murder, they quarrel, they fight, they cause unnecessary conflict and strife among themselves. They bring uh, the modus operandi of the world into the church, and it creates havoc within the community of believers. Y'all, this might sound familiar uh, to some situations that we have seen or experienced. This unfortunate truth is that the very things that are happening with these believers in the text are still happening uh, in, in the church and in the community of faith with believers even 2,000 years later. We have heard the stories over and over again, contentious church meetings, splits within church leadership and congregations, literal fist fights in the, in the sanctuary between members over personal matters. The list goes on and on. But I want to caution you today and just let you know that this isn't just a church issue. Uh, it's really at its core a relationship issue. Uh, it's a relationship issue because it's based in our relationships with one another and our relationship with God that we've prioritized ourselves, that we've made our own desires, our own preferences, priority uh, over the will and the way of God and over the needs of those who are around us. Uh, this is what the root is of the contentiousness often in our families. This is what is the reason for the, the tension in our workplaces. This is what causes the disconnection in our par partnerships, the bitterness and the unforgiveness we hold in the context of the various levels of our relationships are caused by our own personal egos and desires. There's a war going on within us every day, and all too often our internal struggle with sin manifests itself within the fabric of our lives. We covet the power that others have, so we do all we can to gossip and get them out of the way and manipulate our own way in. We want the position uh, that we desire, uh, whether it be in the church or on our job, so, we, so that we can feel important. So we plot our path using and discarding people as we deem necessary. We stir up trouble uh, with shady conversations and two-faced behavior to cause unneeded conflict because of some decision or option or, or, or choice or thing that didn't go our way. And the bad part is, y'all, that often we can be guilty of invoking the name of the Lord in the midst of our mess. Lord, have mercy on us. We can scapegoat God as the reason for our bad behavior. We can scapegoat God as the reason for our bad decisions. We can scapegoat God as the reason for our bad actions. You know how we do where the Lord said this was for me. The Lord told me this. The Lord told me don't talk to them. No, we use God often as an excuse for our toxic uh, behavior that is rooted in our selfishness and our selfishness.
selfish desires. And we find ourselves guilty of covering uh, our own personal desires under the guise of spirituality. We try to God disguise our own needs for title and position and power with the notion of just desiring to do the work of the Lord when the result we are looking for isn't to bring glory to God, but to bring glory and to lift up and to edify, to place ourselves on the pedestal. This is what James is describing when he says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so you can spend it on your pleasures. It is our motives, it is our internal reasoning, our personal desires that cause us uh, to ask for things that look good but aren't good for us. When we live our lives with our personal desires as the driver for our decision making, we will find ourselves very easily and quickly on the slippery slope of sin. James says that when we are dragged away from the will and the way of God by our personal desires, that sin is birthed and grows into death. This could be very well be the reason uh, for the, uh, the, this could very well be the reason that we have so many lifeless places of worship filled with lifeless Christians because personal desire has sucked the life out of them, rendering them with no ability to be who God has created and commissioned them to be. This is why we have to check our motives and personal agendas every day uh, because the work of the kingdom can't be done with a selfish heart and a self-centered mindset. And James writes this to a group of believers who have been uh, saved through their belief in Christ, just like many of us a group of believers who were struggling to turn their whole lives over to the ways of the Lord. Culture had so heavily influenced how they lived that even after their conversion experience, it was hard to break old habits that were antithetical to God. Jesus called Jesus's call to all disciples to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow him remains a challenge even for us today. And I would suggest to you that some of the same issues that they faced over 2,000 years ago match our experience today. Our salvation didn't bring an instant change to our behavior, uh, an instant change uh, to our circumstance, or an instant change to our lives. Uh, but we have been raised in a capitalistic, look at me, I gotta get mine's culture that in many ways is strictly opposed to the ways of God. Yet we find ourselves every day uh, living in the tension of the ways of God and, and the culture of the world. While James's language was strong, he said, he said it fully aware of the ambu ambiguity that living God's way in a world that didn't that did its own thing creates for the believer in essence he is really telling the people and telling us today that while it can be a challenge to manage it is not unmanageable he is encouraging us today. He is encouraging us today saying you can do this. You can live in a way that is pleasing unto God even in the midst of a culture that's hostile uh, unto God. You can uh, have joy in your trials and temptations. You can treat people fairly. You can live out your faith through your actions. You can, uh, you can use your tongue to speak life and to speak love. And just like you can do all of those things, you can ha overcome your personal desires that are not aligned with the will of God. You can have a harmonious existence with, uh, with others, with brothers and sisters, within the presence of God. You can live in a manner that is countercultural to the world. You can do all of this because of God's grace and the power that God has given us access to. James cites the wisdom in Solomon from Proverbs and reminds us that God has a more than enough grace for us.
We just need to be humble enough to know and admit that we need God in order to live. God gives grace to the humble, he says, and he writes and he quotes. God gives grace to the humble, but God resists the proud. And there is one thing that is guaranteed for us, and that is as disciples of Christ, we will make mistakes. We will say the wrong thing. We will be drawn off from time to time by the desires of our hearts. We will find ourselves in the midst of turmoil and conflict that we created. We are not perfect because if we were, we wouldn't need God. Christian discipleship isn't about being more perfect, but it's about being perfected by God through the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. Christian discipleship, being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, is not about being perfect and about being more perfected, being more perfect. It's about being perfected by God through the Holy Spirit. God's grace isn't reserved for the perfect, but God's grace is reserved for those who are aware enough and mature enough to say, I don't have it all together, I don't have it all figured out, and I need God's help. It is a spiritually mature disciple that recognizes their consistent and unending need for God and humbles themselves before the Lord asking for the help that they need in order to overcome the challenges they face without and within. Uh, it doesn't matter how long you've been saved. The truth is you need God just right now, just as much as the hour as you first believed, and maybe even more. God can't help us as long as we walk around and live like we are God's gift to the kingdom. We, can't, we aren't God's gift to anyone because the only gift that God has for us is named Jesus Christ. God can't help us as long as we act like we've got the Christian life figured out. Um, the moment we think we've got it all figured out is the moment when life throws us another trial, another temptation, another test that we aren't quite ready to handle. God can't help us if we aren't willing to put our pride and our ego to the side and be humble enough to put our imperfections in the hands of a perfect God and position ourselves so that the power of the Holy Spirit can transform our lives. God has the grace we need to allow us to keep trying to get this living Christ-like thing right each and every day. God has the grace we need to allow us to keep striving to be a church, to be a people, to be a community of faith that is pleasing in God's sight. God's got the grace for us, but the question is, do we have the humility? Yeah, do we have the humility? You ought to ask that question in the text and ask it of yourself. Do I have the humility? James, verses 7 through 10 of chapter 4 outlines for us what humility looks like. It is here that he explicitly outlines the humility needed to approach God and to access God's grace. We struggle and we wrestle with the inconsistencies that exist in our lives. We have personal desires that don't fit into the lifestyle of a Christ follower. We have behaviors and habits and attitudes that bring about more drama in our personal lives and disrupt, disrupt rather our fellowship with other believers. But as Paul writes, God's grace, yeah, God's grace is sufficient for us. But only if we can humble ourselves enough and let God have all control. So then, what does it take for us today to live in humility that accesses and activates God's grace? What does it take for us to live in humility that accesses and activates God's grace? Listen, the points aren't real deep. In fact, if you read the text, the points are right there uh, in the text today. First, in order to live in the humility that accesses God's grace, it requires that we first submit 
to God. I know it's not real deep. That's all I got. Uh, it's submit to God. Type that in the comments right there in verse number seven. James writes that we must submit ourselves to God. Yeah, the term submit is translated from a Greek word that means to line up under. Yeah, to line up under. It comes with a connotation of military service and the idea of being under the command of a leader. A military unit under the commanding officer does not do anything without the order of their commanding officer. It is the word of the leader that guides the troops on and off the battlefield. And James is telling us that God should be that same commanding officer for our lives. So that when God says move, we move. So that when God says go, we go. So that when God says stop, we stop. So that when God says serve, we serve. When God says forgive, we forgive. Submitting our lives God to God means that we should be like soldiers waiting on the next word from God for our lives and that we don't move until we get a word uh, from the Lord. Yeah, this term points to a simple requirement of God for our lives, to be obedient. Uh, it's simple, as the prophet showed up to King Saul uh, in the Old Testament book of uh, 1 Samuel, he says obedience is better than sacrifice, that we are called to follow and be obedient to the way and the will of the Lord, to do just what the Lord has told us to do. And the Bible is replete, replete with examples of those who decided to do something different than what God told them to do, but it cost them dearly, and often, and sometimes even cost them their lives. And for the audience of the text, they were Coming from a background of religious stringency under the Mosaic and Levitical law that was given to their Jewish ancestors. But now that Jesus has come as the Messiah, the law has been fulfilled and the power of death has been removed. Yet even under grace, the law still serves as a moral guide for believers in Jesus Christ. In other words, just because Jesus died, it doesn't give us permission to do whatever we want, that we might be abusive of the grace that God has extended unto us. But God's grace compels us to submit ourselves to the ways and the wills uh, and the purposes that God has for our lives. And so when James is telling them to submit their lives to God, he is in essence telling them to follow the commands that God has given you as an act of willing obedience unto God. Let the word of God guide your life and, your, and you will be living and operating in God's grace. And that should be our dis disposition, y'all, that we are like soldiers, you know, uh, what the old song of the church says that we are soldiers in the army we have to fight even though we have to die we're going to hold up the blood-stained banner we're going to hold it up uh, yeah until we die and so many times we find ourselves struggling with being obedient to God's command because of the desire to do it our way or to do it the way we think because we think we know better than the Lord because we're so married to how God did it before that we can't uh, be obedient to how God is telling us to do it right now. We are guilty of being willing to give God control of some things uh, but what is required is that we give up all control unto the Lord that when we 
give God some, we can easily be tricked to thinking that we can handle everything on our own. And before you know it, we've learned how to box God out of our lives. But this is why today we ought to heed James's command and submit our lives to God. This is why we ought to submit our relationship and our resources unto God. This uh, this is why we should submit our mind, our body, and our spirit unto God. This is why we should submit our plans and our dreams and our visions unto God. This is why we should sub submit everything unto God because God wants it all. God wants it all and God can do more with it than if we just learn to trust God enough to submit ourselves to God's control. And we ought to recognize that when we submit our lives to God, that there is a blessing attached to submitting unto the Lord that when we let uh, God have the control God will lead us into paths of righteousness for his name's sake that God will lead us into peaceful pastures and protect us from dangerous situations and keep us even as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death and in the presence of our enemies that is we submit to the Lord that our declaration can be the one same as the psalmist that said surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life so we've got to submit our lives unto the lord yeah we've got to submit it unto the lord that's what that's what james right james writes in uh, the first part of verse number seven that we submit to god but in the second part of verse seven james presents the other side to submitting to god and that is to resist the devil yeah, resist the devil. Put that in the comments right now. Resist uh, the devil. If it would seem like submitting our lives to God would automatically require us to resist the devil. But the truth is that even when our lives are fully committed to God, the devil is still right there trying to pull us back into our straddling defense ways. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's trying to pull us back into our straddling defense ways. As Paul writes, when we want to do good, evil is right there with us. Uh, and this is why James make it, makes it explicit that not only should we submit to God, but we've got to resist the devil. Because no matter how submitted our lives are to God, we will find ourselves under pressure and under attack from the enemy who has only come to do what? To kill, to steal, and to destroy. Yeah, another word for resist is to take a stand against something, to take a stand against something. Then the struggle comes uh, because the very thing that we have to take a stand against, uh, the very things rather we have to take a stand against many times are manifested in the places of our greatest weakness. Let me say that one more time, uh, that often the things that we have to take a stand against are manifested in the places of our greatest weakness. Now nah, the devil ain't going to attack you where you struggle wrong the devil not gonna attack you where he know he can't get you the enemy's gonna show up in the places where you are the weakest the devil knows just how to come at us he knows how to build and to he knows the build and the shape we like he knows the fragrances that catch our our attention he knows our favorite spirit of choice he knows the person the place or the thing that we just can't say no to he can we can pretty much guarantee that when we decide to submit ourselves wholly unto God that the devil will be right there to put us unto the test when James says resist the devil that means that anything that would distract us from passionately pursuing the will and the way of God for our lives yeah resisting the devil the devil is the distractions that pull us away from uh, the things that keep 
us from pursuing the purpose that God has for our lives. Y'all, that sometimes means we might have to resist some of our family members and some of our friends. That means that we might have to do something differently with our job, our house, or our car. That means that that man or that woman that you've been waiting for your whole life, we might have to resist them so that God can continue to work through our lives. If it's a distraction from doing what God says do, you have to resist it because it is pulling you from being all that God has called you to be. And so we've got to learn how to take a stand. And Paul wrote about this in Ephesians. He said we've got to take a stand against powers and principalities. That re And it requires for us to arm ourselves, to put on our spiritual armor, to deepen our prayer lives, to deepen our worship lives, that we can be protected by the power and the spirit of God. And that after we've done all we can, y'all know the song that Donnie sings, after we've done all we can, that we can just spank, we can just stand, that we let the spirit of God operate and help us to say the hard things and to do the hard things and to make the hard decisions so that God can get the glory out of our lives. Y'all resisting the devil. Uh, I ain't gonna lie to you today. It's hard, y'all. It's hard to do, but there is good news. Uh, all we have to do uh, is take a stand against the attacks of the enemy. Uh, and when we stand against the enemy, we will find ourselves standing uh, in the strength and the power of the Lord. For in the name of Jesus, we already have the victory. Uh, because at the name of Jesus, Satan trembles. At the name of Jesus, the demons of hell have to flee at the name of Jesus as the song says we have the victory is there anybody that's in the comments today that's glad that they can submit themselves unto God that they can resist the devil and declare I've got the victory you ought to type it in the comments right there because there isn't a demon in hell that can stand up against the name of the Lord for if God be for us God is more than the whole world against us yeah you ought to type that in the comments now i've got the victory james says for us uh, james says that we should submit ourselves to god we should resist the devil and lastly james says that we have to come near to god yeah we have to come near uh, to god check the text in the opening verse uh, opening phrase of verse eight uh, it says simply come near unto god come near to God while submitting to God and coming to God seeing and coming near to God seem to be statements of redundancy they truly are not because submitting to God is to follow direction to obey but to come near to God has the connotation of relationship yeah every soldier in the infantry unit doesn't always have a good relationship with their commanding officer but they've got to follow the direction of that commanding officer but what James is suggesting to us is not only should we be obedient unto God but we've got to invest in this relationship with God we've got to come near we've got to get close this there is an issue of proximity in this statement that if we have to come near that means that our initial position is far from God even if we have 
submitted ourselves to God, we still have to come close to the Lord because God doesn't want us to be distant from God. God wants us to be close uh, unto God. God wants to be near uh, us. There was a song that I liked, the old R&B song that said, come closer. And I can hear the Lord saying that unto you today, uh, saying that unto me today, come closer unto me. Uh, get closer so that we can be closer, so that we can embrace, so that you can hear my heart and feel my heart and know that I care about you and that I love you. Uh, but there's a catch in the text here uh, because before we can come close to the Lord, we've got to acknowledge that we ain't got it all together. We've got to admit that there's some sins that we've got to repent from. I, I didn't write it. It's in the text. We have had, and the truth is, y'all, is that we've had our hands in too much filth and in too much dirt in our lives. So we have to cleanse ourselves as we come before the Lord. We've had so many thoughts and so many desires that aren't aligned with God. So we've got to purify ourselves as we come to the Lord. As a psalmist write, who can ascend unto the hill of the Lord? Only those with clean hands and pure hearts. Pure hearts. We've got to be single-minded. we got to purify ourselves. The text, uh, James writes in the text, purify yourself, you double-minded. That means you who are straddling the fence. You who are trying to serve two masters. You who have duplicitous allegiances. No, come single-minded. Align your mind with the Lord and be uh, in relationship with God. And that's why our prayer ought to be uh, create in me uh, a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Cleanse me with hyssop. Purge me uh, and I shall be whiter than snow. That ought to be our clear prayer so that we can get closer unto the Lord and as we draw closer to God and as we humbly acknowledge that we don't get it right all the time. As we draw closer unto God and we repent of the things that we know we've done wrong and repent of the things that we're not sure that we've done wrong. Things that we're aware of and things that we're unaware of. God will draw closer unto us and as we draw closer unto God, God and begin to humble ourselves before the Lord and begin to live our lives in humble recognition of the fact that God is holy and we are not but we're trying to get it right. God will begin to lift us up. God will begin to set us right. God will make us over. God will renew us and God will restore us. And that's the powerful thing about what James says here in this text. He says acknowledge what you've done wrong. Done wrong. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy turned to gloom. You've got to humble yourself and he will exalt you. And y'all I can't think of any better example of being humble and living in humility than Jesus Christ. Uh, you know what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 5 where he says that Jesus, that we ought to have the same mind that were in us that was in Christ Jesus. That Jesus humbled himself, left his home for glory and submitted himself to becoming a servant, servant wrapping his divinity in the flesh of humanity and being obedient unto God even to death. Death on a cross so that now at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow above the earth, on the earth and below the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus resisted. Jesus submitted. Jesus drew close uh, even on the hill called Calvary and because he did that God exalted him to a place higher to the right hand of the Father in heaven.
Amen. And we've got to learn, y'all, to humble ourselves like Christ did. We've got to learn to submit ourselves unto God like Jesus did. We've got to learn to resist the whims and the wishes of the enemy like Jesus did. We've got to learn to draw close unto God that every chance we get with going to God in prayer and worshiping unto the Lord like Jesus did. Because when we do, we'll begin to experience reconciliation. When we do, we'll begin to experience restoration. When we do, we'll begin to experience a recognition, a reconnection. We'll begin to experience resolution in our lives. And we'll be able to make manifest within the context even of our communities, in the context of our homes, in the context of our churches and on our jobs, the power of collaboration. When we learn to humble ourselves, we'll be able to communicate better. When we learn to humble ourselves, we'll learn how to compromise. When we learn to humble ourselves, when we'll learn to cooperate together better, when we learn to humble ourselves, I can't have it my way, and you can't have it your way. Uh, we ought to all be trying to have it God's way. And when we all trying to have it God's way, that's when we'll see the power of God at work in us and through us in more powerful ways than we ever thought, in more powerful ways than we ever imagined. But it starts with us living in humility. We've got to live, live in humility. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. The devil will flee. Draw near unto God and humble yourself that God will exalt you. That God will lift you up. That God will use you in powerful ways that you never imagined. You got to live in humility. Come on, let's pray. God, we thank you for honestly, God, the tough words of James here in chapter 4 challenging words of James in chapter 4 to remind us that oftentimes the issues that we face they begin with us with us seeking to impose our will in places where you've not called us to be trying to chase after desires and things that you've not meant for our lives not humbling ourselves enough in your presence so that you can work through us and get the glory out of our lives. God we pray today that as we go into this next week God, that you would help us to live in humility. God, help us to submit ourselves unto you. Help us to resist the devil. To resist the attacks of the enemy. That would pull us away from your will. God, help us not just to submit to you, God, but to come close unto you. To draw near unto you. Not just as divine creator, but as our father, God. We thank you, God, for your word. We pray now, God, that you would help some man, woman, boy, or girl today come to a decision today to do just what James suggests, to submit themselves, resist the devil, and to draw near unto you. Perhaps by your spirit, you've been speaking to them these words now. God, we pray that you would help them to make known publicly their heart's desire today to follow you. God, it's our hope and our prayer, God, that you would move on their hearts now for those who desire for the first time to say yes unto Jesus, for those today who desire to dedicate them and to rededicate their lives to following Jesus Christ, and even those who desire to partner their lives now in ministry with, with our church in this season. God, we thank you for your word. 
And we thank you now for those who are making spiritual decisions today. God, help us all to make the spiritual decision this week to draw close unto you, to draw near unto you, to turn off the distractions, to give you space to work and to move and to, and to manifest and to transform in our lives. We honor you, God. We thank you and we praise you. It's in the mighty and the matchless name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.